It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 561 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, September 5th. I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me, as always, on Twitter at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. we got tons of stuff for you on the network right now. Football season is getting going on Wednesday, so yesterday... Uh, the across the network on the NFL side, the teams, the hosts of the shows covering the teams that are playing each other each week will have crossover Wednesday, so you can tune in there and get all the dirt you need on whichever matchups are coming up. And for fantasy, we got the fantasy shows over there too. If you're interested in Antonio Brown being super cool and the Raiders being a bunch of chuds, then you can check out the uh, Locked On Raiders podcast. There's no shortage of stuff on that side for you to check out. And then on the NBA side, uh, still kind of getting ready for the season here, but the Locked On Fantasy season previews for every team in the league are well underway. The Raptors one posted today. I'm on that one. I talked with Josh Lloyd. So you can tune in there and hear all about the fantasy prospects of the Toronto Raptors. People know who listen to this podcast know that I am horrible and or do not really pay attention when I'm in a fantasy league. So I really, really hung on Josh's advice on a lot of the things there. But it was nice to chat about the Raptors a little bit, get back in the groove and kind of uh, familiarize myself and get back acquainted with all the lads. Because it's going to be exciting to watch this team this season as they defend their title. So there you have that. All right. On today's show... It's just me going solo, going to do a little bit of mailbag action. I got some questions in, and uh, I'll just roll through these. First, let's quickly touch on Team Canada at the FIBA World Cup. They beat Senegal today, 82-60, and really set themselves up for a bit of an easier run through the classification games. Not easier per se, but they have to do less to ensure their spot in one of the qualification tournaments next year. Uh, so yeah, 82-60, they beat Senegal. Corey Joseph had 24 points, looked very good after not looking super good uh, the previous couple games. Melvin Edgem with 11, Kevin Pangos with 13, and from all accounts, look, I didn't watch this game. It was at 3.30 in the morning, and I had to be up for work, and so I didn't check it out. But uh, from all accounts, Kevin Pangos and Corey Joseph worked much better together in this game, which bodes well for the games coming up in the future as well. And we talked about that in depth in the last episode with Carlin Gay. We talked about the road forward for Canada in the last episode with Carlin Gay as well. You should check that one out for a whole bunch of Canada talk. Carlin was amazing. So basically, here's the road forward for Canada as it stands after the win over Senegal. They will be placed in a group uh, for classification games with Senegal as well as Germany and Jordan. Jordan uh, will be the first game they play. Germany the second. They will not play Senegal because uh, the result from their first round matchup stands. So... Basically, what Canada has to do, win both of those games, and they're guaranteed to win that classification group. And if they do that, 
they will ensure themselves a spot at one of those qualification tournaments next summer that they will have to win outright in order to qualify for the Olympics. Not out of the question that they could win that, obviously, because, hey, maybe they get the guys to go to the team that are supposed to be on the team. Uh, or maybe not. Maybe it's a continuation of the lack of participation we've seen. We'll get to that in a sec. But... Uh, if they finish first in the classification group, beat both Germany and Jordan, they will be guaranteed a spot in one of those tournaments. They will still likely be guaranteed a spot in one of those tournaments if they lose to, say, Germany. If they beat Jordan, which feels like a foregone conclusion, they're one of the worst teams in the field, then they will go into that Germany game with essentially first place on the line, uh, barring some Senegal defeating Germany stuff. Well, that's all stuff in the future, but this is all hypothetical. If they lose to Germany, they will be classified from 21 to 24 in the standings. If they win the group and beat Germany and Jordan, they will be between 17 and 20. That will guarantee them. Again, 17 through 23 in the standings will be guaranteed those qualification spots in that in those tournaments next summer. This is all so dumb. Anyway, so because it's 21 through 24 that end up getting those spots, if you're second in your classification group, they're still likely to be one of those top three in that 21, 22, 23 range. But if their point differential sucks enough, then they will be 24 and they will have to uh, hope to get in as a wild card as like a handpicked team from their region. And right now, Canada is, I believe, ranked last in the Americas. Uh, and that's not good. That, that's very, very bad. So they should probably just win the damn group and not have to worry about it and be in those tournaments in the future anyway. So very confusing stuff. FIBA, the, the, I don't know why the FIBA people have made it so difficult for people to understand, but that's basically where they're at. Canada, if they win both their games against Jordan and Germany, will be guaranteed one of those spots in a qualification tournament. Um, and on that note, Nick Nurse was quoted yesterday by Laura Ewing, who I, I guess is over there covering the, the tournament in China, uh, talking about the need to make connections with guys and figure out the reasons why and why not guys play. We've had a couple Canadian guys kind of speak out the last couple days. Ken Birch in particular spoke about about how the decisions of everyone else don't really weigh on him at all and Ken Birch wanted to play in China so he played in China because he wants to go to the Olympics. Kyle Wilcher talked about it as well. They seem to be kind of responding to the backlash over the lack of partition participation for the team um which again the guys who are there i have no ill will towards whatsoever it's not their fault that they're less talented than their nba playing counterparts and i mean cambridge is in the nba obviously but like it's no one's fault who is on this team that this team is not particularly good it was the best they could cobble together and so Nick Nurse was talking and suggesting that he has to work on those relationships. I don't know how that works with tampering and stuff like that in the NBA. That feels like a bit of a tricky situation. If Magic Johnson's getting fined for tweeting about guys, I'm not sure how the Denver Nuggets, for example, would feel about Nick Nurse talking to Jamal Murray in season about playing uh, for Team Canada. That seems a little bit weird, but uh, that's nice to hear from Nick Nurse, I guess. Although, I will say, that's not really what Nick Nurse's job when it comes to the national team is? It should be Rowan Barrett, who is forging those relationships and figuring out the reasons why guys play and why they don't play, figuring out ways to incentivize people to come, figuring out ways to get corporate sponsorship to make it more comfortable for guys to travel to China and Australia to play these games, figuring out a way to make it maybe financially feasible or financially incentivized for guys to play. Hey, uh, we'll give you this money if you play for us. That's not out of the cards, I don't believe. I believe you can work in financial uh, like incentives for guys to play. People make money, but they win the Olympics and stuff like that. And obviously the Olympics have a whole other clout to them. But um, in terms of the international participation, like it should not really be 
Nick Nurse's job to forge those relationships. That's him doing the job of somebody else whose job that is, if he is going to be doing that. Um, maybe that speaks to what we talked about with Doug Smith's piece about the star at the star and saying that maybe Rowan Barrett should not be in that job anymore. I don't know. It's hard to say, but that's where Canada's at right now. 82-60 over Senegal today. That's nice. Good job. And uh, hopefully they can beat the piss out of Jordan and improve their point differential. And even if they lose to Germany, still be okay and get into a qualification tournament that will surely be arduous and stressful and uh, awful when it comes around next year. All right. Let's get to the mailbag. But first off, a reminder about Postmates. Anything you're craving, Postmates can deliver. They're the largest on-demand network in the U.S. and offer delivery from all the restaurants, grocery, and convenience stores, and traditional retailers you could possibly want or need. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use Locked On. That is Postmates, U.S. only, unfortunately. For that one, to the Canadian listeners. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, now let's get into the mailbag questions. First question here comes, Beal for real at Forever Raptor. If you were Kyle Lowry, where would you want to be playing by the end of the year? This is interesting. Uh, I, I have a hard time trying to dive into the brains of players. I don't think that's necessarily a smart thing to do. I think that uh, we tend to sort of, in sports conversation, I think we tend to kind of undersell the agency players have and stuff like that and trying to get in their brains and predict what they want to do and stuff like that. It's not always my favorite thing to do. But in terms of Kyle, I think if, like I'm just trying to put myself into Kyle's shoes right now, I know there's a lot of people suggesting, oh man, Kyle's going to want to go play somewhere where you can win. Kyle's going to want to go somewhere else. I kind of take the opposite view to it in that why would he want to leave now? The Raptors just won a title. All of the pressure of his career, of his perceived playoff failures that weren't really a thing, and just sort of the, the like the legacy that he's building for himself it doesn't need to go anywhere. He doesn't need to be anywhere else, even if this Raptors team isn't going to win a title, which they're not. Like That doesn't affect his career outlook at all right now. He's in like the most pressure-free situation he's ever been after winning the ring. And this team, with the expectations it's going to have, which like I think they're going to be good. They should be good, and they should be probably a home-court playoff team if everything goes right and they keep everyone and don't trade everybody. Like I don't see why... Kyle would need more than that right now. I know there's lots of people saying, oh, maybe he'll get traded to the Sixers or traded to the Nuggets, and that would be cool for him, and I'd like to see Kyle Lowry play meaningful basketball once again into June. That would be fantastic. I just don't really see if I'm Kyle Lowry. I have two kids. I have been in Toronto for a long time. It's kind of a pain in the ass to move your shit. (laughs) Like, that's a big thing in all this stuff as well. They're human beings with lives, and he you know, stays in Toronto deep into the summer because his kids are in school here, and I don't know why he would want to change up that routine if he's already won a title and there's not much out there for him to gain if he's to be traded to some other team. He's a free agent anyway. 
He'll have an off-season decision that he's going to make. I would expect there will be some sort of deal the Raptors come to with him. It feels just kind of like a legacy play to me. It feels like a Dirk-type thing almost. Like, maybe in a vacuum, having Kyle Lowry around after he's, like, 33 or 34 at the end of this contract, having him around for a couple years beyond that, maybe that's not, like, the smartest thing for building a winning basketball team, but... A, I don't think you can like expect that the contract is going to be that exorbitant. I think it's going to be pretty manageable. I think Kyle Lowry will be okay if something pretty manageable, unless there's like some crazy offer out there from some other team. I just don't think that's going to come. I know there's lots of cap space next summer, and Kyle will like quickly become after all of the moving and shaking this summer, or and the guys who are coming off the the market for next summer. Kyle becomes one of the best free agents. The Raptors might boast three of the five or six best free agents available next summer which speaks to the strength of the class. And so maybe there's a big deal out for him somewhere. I just don't really think that's going to happen at his age. And I think it's more than likely that he just comes back to the Raptors anyway. So why would he want to... It just feels like with what he said, with how there seems to be stasis between him and the franchise, you know, this isn't a couple years ago where it seemed like going into his last free agency period, it looked like, man, things are kind of souring here and he's just going to go away. It's not even at the start of the year where he seemed a little bit sour about DeMar DeRozan. It feels so calm and happy right now, and his relationship with Masai seems to be as good as it's ever been. I don't really see why Kyle Lowry would want out. So maybe this is me speaking with Kyle-colored glasses and just hoping he stays forever. I just feel like there's, if you're Kyle Lowry, there's not that much incentive to move your shit and go play somewhere else because you just did the thing you've been trying to do and the thing that most people around the league are trying to do. And yes, it, it, like personally, watching Kyle Lowry, although it'd be weird to see him in another jersey, watching him play for another title would be really cool and I would root so damn hard for him. I I don't see, like, if I'm just putting myself in that situation. If I were in Kyle Lowry's shoes, I wouldn't feel like some great urge to go on to the next thing right now because the current thing is pretty great, and it was pretty great last year and resulted in the ultimate goal, and now it's kind of okay to just kind of chill in, in a low-pressure situation and just let it to, just see how it plays out and then play with Giannis in 2021. Anyway, uh, next one comes from... Our pal Dan Grant, Slammin' Danny G on Twitter. When is the trivia tournament continuing? Signed, everyone. Brackets, my given name is everyone. Uh, Okay, so for people who are new listeners and who have not been listening for a year and a half uh, prior to this episode, there was once a time where I thought it'd be a great idea right before the playoffs began to do a long bracket-style Raptors Trivia Tournament on the podcast. It was great. The episodes were really fun. There was great feedback on them. But then we got to, I think, the semifinals or the quarterfinals. I'm pretty sure we're in the semis. I could maybe pull it up while we're doing this right now. But we got pretty deep into the tournament, and then the playoffs started. And then the Raptors beat the Wizards, and that was delightful. And then the Raptors got swept by the Cavs, and everyone was sad. And then Nick Nurse took the job from Dwayne Casey after Dwayne Casey got fired a couple days after the season. And then the Raptors traded for Kawhi freaking Leonard. And then the entire season was about Kawhi Leonard. There was not really a time to squeeze in the trivia tournament, unfortunately. So my promise to you now is if you're Dan Grant or someone else who is longing for the trivia tournament, I'm going to bring it back this month. I look forward to it. I'm going to finish it off this month. I swear it's going to happen. It hasn't been touched for a very long time. As it stands right now, we have, I've just pulled it up. We have uh, three matchups of the 
quarterfinals still to go, or two matches to the quarterfinals still to go. Uh, Josh Lewenberg against our pal Dave Soriel has to go down in one of the quarterfinals in the Andrea Bargnani region. And then in the Mike James region, Vivek Jacob, our pal, has, has to go up against Russell Peddle, uh, former guest of the show, Raptors HQ writer, everyone loves Russell. Uh, so I will pledge to you now that this month I will continue the Lockdown Raptors Trivia Tournament. Uh, currently in the semifinals are our pals John, uh, Dan Grant, who obviously wants to continue playing because he's doing very well, and John Chick from The Score, who was on uh, a pretty recent episode talking Team Canada. So we will get that thing figured out. I promise it's going to happen. So just stay tuned. This month, I promise it will get done, and I look forward to it, and it'll be a nice way to fill the last couple uh, dead weeks before we get into the fun stuff and media day on all, on all that good stuff. So that's coming back soon. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, next question here. This one comes from uh, Zanny Almonte at Trillimo Pena, our pal Simon with the greatest Twitter handle in the world. Who are the current NBA champions? The Toronto Raptors. All right, next up. The uh, question here comes from hmm, Fomosaurus at Fomosaurus. Uh, get your thoughts on Bruno's performance versus Giannis in the World Cup and his prospects this coming season. I, I, I think it's very nice that Bruno is doing very well. He had the big game-saving swat on Giannis at the rim. That was fantastic. He seems to be thriving. He seems to be happy, which is honestly so good because it didn't really seem like Bruno was in a great spot a couple years ago when he was kind of going through with the Raptors. And I, I'm really just glad to see that he's kind of figured it out. And, you know, he'll be on the Memphis Grizzlies next year, the honorary Raptors, the bizarre Raptors, whatever you want to call them. They're less bizarre now because they don't have DeLon or CJ Miles, but um, they do have Jonas still. And I saw a Memphis Grizzlies Twitter post today promoting their season that had Jonas front and center with John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. And that's cool as hell. Uh, Bruno will be on that team. I would imagine he'll get some spot starts at times, and I think he'll just kind of continue his growth, and I could see him being like a pretty useful rotation player. He's obviously not totally refined, but he is obviously talented, and he's figuring it out, and at just 23, there's still more time and runway for him to figure things out even more and get the the rough around the edges sort of trimmed off a little bit, and I, uh, yeah, I'm very happy with what Bruno's done. I'm really proud of him. Hopefully he can come back to the Raptors one day in a lovely, beautiful reunion between uh, Masai Ujiri and his uh, like consolation prize for not getting Giannis, I guess. <laughs> um, kind of a, a Masai Ujiri wet dream to see Bruno swat Giannis, I think. Um, maybe they could play together with Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam in 2021. Wouldn't that be delightful? All right, next question here. Uh, two questions here. Come from at RapsFan1237 or pal Brandon. Two questions. One, when are you moving to Nova Scotia? We're cheap and awesome. Nova Scotia is fucking awesome. I love it. I would uh I I don't often go to cities and think I could live here when I visit them. Usually they're nice to visit and then I'm kind of bored of them or whatever. You do all the touristy stuff and then it's just a city. Halifax 
oh my god, I could live in Halifax. For sure. It's awesome. To me, it's the second best Canadian city after Toronto. I live in Hamilton. I have to say Hamilton is tied with ha with Halifax. I like Hamilton a lot. Um, but Halifax rules. It's, it's amazing. It's got... Uh, Beer, it's got delicious food, it's got very cool sort of geography, it's got sort of a nice mix of old and new, it's a very young city, it's uh, it's pretty rad. I like Nova Scotia a lot, and again, the, the, just like the layout of downtown and stuff, everything around it, you can drive in an hour to like some beautiful beaches and stuff like that, it's, it's great. Halifax rules, so I'll move there at some point maybe, but not right now, because uh, the Raptors are close to me and I like that. Uh, other question, what do you see as the ceiling and floor for Pascal Siakam scoring this year, and can he get to the low to mid-20 points per game? I think, and I talked a bit about this with Josh on the Locked On Fantasy podcast, I think Siakam's usage is going to be pretty ridiculous. I think it's going to be similar to what we might have seen from like Kawhi Leonard or DeMar DeRozan in the past. I really think he's going to have a lot of offensive burden. Will he be as efficient as Kawhi Leonard? Absolutely not with that load. He's just not Kawhi Leonard. Will he be as efficient as DeMar DeRozan? I kind of think maybe, because he incorporates a really dead-eye corner three-point shot. He was like 45% last year from the corners. He's so good around the rim. His true shooting last year was 63%. And look, he's not going to maintain that. He's not going to hit every single weird, off-balance, strange-angle eight-footer off glass. That's just not going to happen. But I do think that even with the, the, the serious uptick in usage that's coming... He was at like 19 points a game down the stretch last season in the last half of the year as he moved into the second scoring option on the team. I think that's pretty easily going to be his floor, like 19, 19 and a half, something like that. Uh, the only way I think he stays that low is if like Kyle really sort of ramps up his usage again and sort of goes back to uh, like 2016-17 levels where he was just bombing everything. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think he's going to sort of find a little sweet spot in between that and what he was last year where he was like ultra facilitator. And so there's still going to be a lot of shots available. I think Marcus Gasol will take some of them. I think Fred Van Vliet will take some of them. I think OG will take a few corner threes more than he typically would. And I think Norm Powell will take some. But for the most part, I think a lot of the departed usage from Kawhi is just going to go right to Pascal Siakam. And I think there's going to be some you know, growing pains there, obviously. And I think eventually teams will figure out his sort of array of moves. But the thing that's happened with Siakam is he's added to his array of moves and sort of come up with counters and stuff like that. He's a really good passer as well. He sees the court really well in sort of those tight spaces where there's traffic inside. He's a great big to big passer. And I think he'll be able to work around that a little bit and make defenses be a little bit more you know, hesitant about totally selling out and sending doubles his way because he is so smart at picking out the open guy. And so I think he'll be able to figure it out. Again, it's not going to be 63% true shooting. I think it's probably going to be closer to like 57, 58 probably uh, in an ideal world. But I, I do think the, the point scoring, just the usage is going to lead to something crazy. Also, the faster pace of the league, everyone kind of scores more points as it is anyway. I would say Pascal, for me, I would pencil like 20. I feel like we'll do the over-unders with Vivek and Sahal, I think probably like 23 would be where I set the over-under, and I would not be shocked if he goes over it. I really think like 24, 24 and a half, something around there is totally possible because it's just there's going to be 
a dearth of scoring options on the team, and he's going to be the guy who can take it himself. He's shown that he has some off-the-bounds juice and you know also the stuff he does off ball like the cutting and stuff like that the standing in the corner and catching you know catching catch and shoot threes from you know gasol actions from the elbow and stuff like that i think it's really going to uh just all kind of funnel siakam's way and whether or not that's good and whether that will lead to the raptors having an incredible offense i'm not sure but if you think back to what demar Derozan was a couple years ago he was not terribly efficient I mean he was great on mid-range jumpers that's the one thing Pascal Siakam doesn't have but everything else Pascal was as good or better at in terms of shot profile not as good off the dribble obviously he has to work on that and that'll be a key thing to his development this year but he you saw him flash a little bit here and there uh watching back the finals there's like a couple possessions where he pulls up for like 18 footers and it's like oh shit he he does have that and it looks smooth when he does it it doesn't look awkward or weird it's not like when Patrick Patterson would like make a play and pull up for a shot and it was super bizarre are like it actually looks like pascal knows what he knows what he's doing and what he wants to do so uh again growing pains i think by mid-season those growing pains will be uh fewer and further between and i think about 23 and a half 24 is kind of where Pascal's going to finish up the season in terms of points per game which is not at all the most important metric by any means but it, that's the question that's the answer uh next question this one comes from abzebra RHJ, Ronda Hollis Jefferson, real thoughts on this project? Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily that much of a project, really. I think it's... I, I kind of think you kind of know exactly what RHJ is at this point. He's a horrible, horrible shooter who can do a little bit of stuff with the ball in his hands uh, and is going to be a really good defender and is probably just going to play the four and maybe they try to work on his stroke and try to reconstruct a little bit, maybe have him take corner threes. Um, I think he's going to be a pretty big part of the rotation. Like if I'm penciling in rotation guys, he probably ends up being eighth or ninth in my hypothetical rotation, which is nice. I think he's a useful player and I think he's going to feed into my thinking that the team is still going to be like a top five defensive team. He's going to be awesome. He's going to be able to switch everything. You're going to be able to play like him and Pascal together in like super small looks if he wants to. Like you could in theory go with like a Kyle, Fred, OG, Ronde Pascal lineup that's not too light on shooting but could just be really really good defensively you could even swap in uh in place of Norm you could swap in a Norm Powell or even like a Terrence Davis or something and get by I think and then you know that that's that's becomes like a pretty dangerous looking defensive lineup it's really you know flexible and then you could also scale up and go big and if you want to go like Ibaka or Gasol with Siakam and then RHJ at the three I think that could happen you slide OG up to the two if the two rotation isn't, isn't looking particularly good or whatever or you just want to try some shit out and then you have Lowry at the point guard like I think that's going to be in there I think there's going to be some really switchable lineups and I look forward to seeing how Ronda Hollis Jefferson and Pascal in particular play together because I think the like the passing that RHJ has, the sort of off the ball, off the bounce juice he has, I think it's kind of useful and could kind of help play off Pascal kind of nicely. So yeah, I think he'll be in the rotation. I, I don't know if it's like, I'm not expecting him to shoot 35% from three or anything like that, but I do think he'll be a pretty viable guy in the rotation and there'll be enough shooting, I think, on the team between Gasol and Ibaka who will gladly shoot Gasol is actually a threat Nabaka not so much Siakam will be a threat obviously because he's not afraid to shoot either and I think that'll continue to improve um you'll have OG you'll have Norm who shot 40% last year people forget um you'll have like Fred and Kyle there'll be enough shooters I think that you can offset uh Ronda Hellas Jefferson being just not a shooter at all maybe even run some weird like playing with Gasol Gasol can kind of space near the 
like the top of the key or something like that, or kind of hang on the elbow. Maybe you can run some pick and roll with Rondé Hollis Jefferson as the as the screener. I, I'm not sure exactly how he copes as a screener, but that's an interesting way around his lack of shooting because if he can work on the dive, he's got soft hands and can finish around the rim. Maybe that's a way to work around his total lack of shooting ability, right? And you can still have space on the floor by having Gasol, you know, in the corner or up top or whatever it is and not totally clog things up. I think there are ways to do that. So, yeah, I think he'll be a part of the rotation. Probably one of the nine guys I would pencil in right now to get rotation minutes, probably about 20 minutes a game or maybe a little bit less. But, yeah, I think it'll be fun. It'll be cool. And he seems like a cool guy. So uh, I'm all in for the Ronde experience. The next question here, this one comes from uh, the Confederacy of Dunks podcast. It's a sentient podcast, apparently, tweeting questions. Listen to it. Freddie Rivas, I was on that uh, over the course of the summer, I think, or maybe during the playoffs. But either way, Freddie, uh, Matt Duncan, they do an awesome job. Check out that podcast. Uh, He asks, is there a death lineup in the NBA anymore? Is there even an all-shooter lineup? I think you can assemble all-shooter lineups. That's not really a problem. I think you... Start like if you're looking at like a death lineup where you can like switch one to five, that becomes more difficult to find. But I think there are a couple you could throw out. I think first, the Bucks have something there. I don't know if it's like Bledsoe, and again, he can't like, but like Steph couldn't switch on everybody, so it's not totally like a switch one through five type of thing. But say a point guard and then like four guys who can switch across the board. I think the Bucks, if they were to do something along the lines, although this is harder without Brogdon, but like Bledsoe, Middleton, um, Sterling Brown or something, he kind of falls off, I guess, a little bit there. Um, and then you have Giannis playing center. Like that could be sort of a death lineup type thing. I think the closest one I could think of is if the Clippers decide to play small, they could go with... Um, at the one, Patrick Beverly, obviously. At the two, Landry Shamit, who's probably by far the worst defender in that lineup. And, you know, maybe that makes it out of death lineup, but it's the closest I could think of. And then you have Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Jermichael Green. That pretty much entire lineup can shoot. That entire lineup can defend at least something a little bit. And that entire lineup, at least three through five, could switch everything. Um, although Jermichael Green, I don't, I'm, he's not amazing at defensively, I suppose. I don't think you could do it with Montrez Harrell. He's kind of... I think limited in terms of his shooting range and stuff like that. He could probably defend wings in a pinch, but uh, I think Jermichael Green probably stands a better chance there. It's certainly not a Vika Zubac if you're trying to find Clippers big men to throw in there. Uh, that might be the closest thing. Like, I don't think the Lakers are going to have it. Although the Lakers are interesting. They could honestly... Their, their roster is so messed up. I hate it. It looks dumb. But their best lineups, if they were to throw out LeBron with, like, Danny Green, KCP, Kuzma... And Anthony Davis, that can switch entirely. I mean, Kuzma is a sieve defensively, but in theory, that can switch. In theory, three and a half of those guys can shoot a little bit. And then you have LeBron, a point guard, which is the great equalizer. And maybe that could be a death lineup y type thing. Like, I think that could be a pretty interesting crunch time lineup for them. I don't love KCP, but after the top four guys in Kuzma, Davis, LeBron, and Danny Green, that team becomes a clusterfuck. So KCP, you get the job, pal. Get in there. Um, But yeah, it's not perfect, obviously. And that's the nice thing about this coming season. I think it speaks to how this season is going to play out is that I don't think there is like a death lineup per se. There'll be some very good lineups that will emerge, of course. I think the Raptors starting five will probably end up being pretty good, whether it's or, or like their closing lineup, if it's like Kyle, Fred, 
um, OG, Pascal, Gasol. Like, that'll be a really good lineup, I think. I think it'll have enough offensive firepower, and I think it'll be incredible defensively that its numbers will be very good, but will you see a death lineup with like three or four all-stars probably not that's just not how the league is right now and that's kind of a good thing I- i'm trying to think if there are any others but i mean in theory the magic could sort of do something with like their like weirdo bizarro collection of wings and stuff like they could throw out i don't know like jonathan isaac at center they could have aaron gordon with like Terrence Ross, and it just falls apart because they don't have any point guards. So I don't know. Um, I, I get a lot of hate from Orlando Magic fans for hating on DJ Augustine, but like, come the fuck on, man. Like he's, he kind of throws off the entire ceiling of that team, I think, because if they had just a, a slightly better point guard, I'd be pretty bullish on the, on the Magic. But so yeah, I don't think there's a death lineup. There's just like a lot of pretty good lineups that will not entirely be perfect. There will always be sort of a defensive liability for most of these teams. And that's a nice thing. I don't, I don't like having an in- invincible team. That's not very fun. Although I think what the Warriors did was they kind of like raised the bar for sort of how I think and how I think people think about the playoffs. And they made it very evident that if you do have weak spots on your team, A, they're going to exploit them mercilessly. Sorry, Kevin Love. But also, like, they can really sort of sewer you and they become liabilities. And it becomes a thing of which team has more guys who can be on the floor at all times. And this is what the Raptors did so well. You could argue the Raptors' sort of main five was a death lineup last year of sorts. It was excellent. And there were no liabilities. There were no guys you could play out the floor offensively. No guys you could play at the floor defensively. And I think the... Warriors sort of perfection has sort of look teams are going to be able to win titles without the Warriors existing there will be teams who can win titles with imperfections the Warriors were a perfect team essentially and that that was why they won all the damn titles but I think without them there those imperfections it's just sort of a it's going to be a degrees thing right and if your imperfections are extremely profound or you have one glaring one that another team can really exploit then you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And so it's going to be imperative to have guys who can be on the floor at all times. And that's why I'm still pretty bullish on this Raptors team. I don't think outside of maybe Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, there's anyone who you're going to be able to play off the floor offensively. OG, maybe, but I still think he's a passable enough shooter and a a smart enough cutter and stuff like that that he can be on the floor in pretty much any situation. It's a shame we didn't get to see it in the postseason. But that's, again, why I'm pretty in on the Raptors. And that's why the Bucks, for example, worry me a little bit because I think... Brooke Lopez is sort of a liability you can exploit. I think uh, Kyle Korver, if he's going to play at this point, is very much a liability you can exploit. And it's going to kind of come down to that stuff. Like, what are the areas of weakness? Who are the imperfect players? It's maybe reductive and simplistic to say it, but it's kind of how I think the Warriors have maybe think about how playoff basketball works. And the team with more players who you're not going to play off the floor typically tends to be the one you w- that wins. That's why the Clippers are really interesting because they have a lot of very good players who aren't going to be played off, a lot of guys who can shoot. Um, but that's also why the Clippers are interesting from the other coin because they have Lou Williams, who is a liability defensively and is a bit of a weird mix with the two ball-dominant wings that they just brought in. And so that makes them an interesting you know, test for this as well. It's all very fascinating. It's Basketball's cool and interesting. Who would have thunk? Uh, anyway, next question. Let's uh, wrap this thing up with... Huh. 
Okay, two more quick questions. Uh, this one here comes from Robert Flom, uh, a guest of the show in the past. Uh, Clippers fan, very happy for him. He gets to watch Kawhi. That's pretty cool. Uh, he asks, favorite Canadian foods? And my answer is Canadian foods are trash. Smarties, ass. Not as good as M&M's. Uh, ketchup chips, terrible. The worst flavor of chip. It, like, stings your tongue. I hate it. Uh, poutine is fine, but kind of overrated. And I, I know you kind of have to do it right and go to Quebec to get the proper poutine. I still find poutine to just be sort of fine. It makes you feel like shit afterwards. I, it's a good hangover food, I guess. A good drunk food. I don't think it's like a, have a snack or go for lunch and have a poutine type of food. Um, and maybe just like bad cafeteria poutine has changed my mind on this and, and soured me on the real thing. But I've had the real thing before. It's only just fine to me. Uh, I went to Quebec City on my way home from out east uh, last month. We went to this restaurant that was all like ancient Canadian foods. And all the ancient Canadian foods are kind of lame. It's like beans and pig knuckles, which are not particularly tasty. It's like meat pie, which is fine. I don't have a problem with meat pie, but it's kind of boring. And it's mostly, for me, Canadian foods are just sort of like stuff that survives the winter. <laughs> it's not like there's lots of nice fresh fruits and vegetables. It's just like, yeah, this brown thing survives winter, so we'll eat this. Canadian food, only okay. And yeah, uh, ketchup chips, get the hell out of here with those. All dressed, also not that great. Anyway, next one. Final question, Paul Lawton, our pal, who do you think will come out of the West to face the Raptors in the 2020 NBA Finals? I love it, love the energy. From the West, I think it's the Clippers, probably, but I really like the Nuggets. I like, I want the Nuggets to make a trade. My ideal Finals, if the Raptors aren't there, which I don't think they will be there, is like a bizarro Nuggets-Sixers Final where you get like Jokic and Embiid going at each other. That would be so much goddamn fun. It'd be so weird to have those two teams in the Final. And I suppose it'd be weird to have the Clippers in the Final, seeing as they've never made it to a Conference Finals before, um, but maybe less so considering who they employ now. But um, that'd be kind of fun. But no, the Nuggets. I want the Nuggets there. I want Jamal Murray in the finals. He seems like a badass. He's kind of a motherfucker. It's great. Uh, I love Nikola Jokic. He's awesome. And I would like to see them trade for like Bradley Beal. Or if Kyle Lowry is to be traded to a team, which I hope does not happen. I do not want to see it. I hope it is the Denver Nuggets because that would be a really cool fit. And he could play next to Murray and uh, teach him how, how to be an NBA champion. Because remember, Kyle Lowry is... An NBA champion. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I'll be back again, I believe, on Friday. Katie Heindel is going to join me. We're going to talk about summer vacations, which will be lots of fun. Um, still working on the scheduling for when that's going to happen. It might not happen. We'll see. If not, we'll do that next week for sure. And then next week, I'm going to get very much back into the regular swing of things. We'll do the trivia tournament in the next couple weeks as well. Uh, and I will invite everyone back on to do that. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're getting close. I can taste it. The World Cup is fun. We'll talk about the classification games next week as well uh, as we realize what Canada's fate is and what they'll have to do to get into one of those tournaments or, or if they will be in one of those tournaments by the time we talk next. Uh, but we should be back tomorrow with Katie, and that'll be a lot of fun. So that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.